0: Cutting through an overload of information to get to the heart of the story. This is The Point.
1: It's been a month since the latest round of violence began in the Middle East. Death toll is mounting. Protests have been staged around the world, calling for freeing the Palestinian people and sparing innocent lives. While many focus on the war, my guest today believes it's also imperative for us to examine the more complex and challenging underlying conflict to this war. As a peace researcher, he says only when we address the underlying question of why the parties involved use violence can we begin to approach a dialogue about peace. He's Yen Olberg, director of the Transnational Foundation for Peace and Future Research. Yen, welcome to the point. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you very much. So you said, and I quote, there are fundamental differences between focusing on the violence and the war and focusing on the underlying conflict and you spoke against a black and white simplified narrative on this issue. Why?
0: Well if you look at what a doctor does he or she would say where is the pain and then he or she would to make a a diagnosis would say where does the pain come from because all the violence you see are only symbols of underlying conflicts that the parties cannot handle and by the way a conflict is a problem that stays between the parties. It's not something that is located in the parties. But we have in the Western world a tendency to say, oh, the problem is that party or that party, and if we just eliminate that party, the conflict will be gone. That is never true. There's no example of that in real life. So,
1: what's the situation in this particular conflict? What is the problem? in between the parties, not in one of the parties?
0: Well, of course, it has to do with the fact that, that there's a settler colonialism involved historically. Secondly, there is a, an identity and the right to land and territory. There is economic issues, such as the oil in the, in the ocean outside. There are all kinds of historical problems between two people who, are in some kind of sense, are religious on both sides. And you can say also that this is a very asymmetric conflict in the sense that one party is extremely strong compared with the other. I mean, everybody's focusing on Hamas' attack, and that was terrible. I have no sympathy for it. But if you look at the military, if you will, um, correlation of forces between the parties, you have a hugely strong Israel that can basically, we well, see how they are exercising it now, how, how, how they are so much stronger than the Palestinians and can eradicate, actually, a, a, or t- attempt to er- eradicate old people. And they have nuclear weapons. And I even saw that the other day there was some Israeli uh, minister, or former minister, sorry, I'm not quite sure, who said maybe we should n- use nuclear weapons on the Palestinians. So, uh, that's one of the things that I believe the Western world does not understand. That's the difference between the parties when you look at the conflict and not the violence. And then you have an overkill capacity now because, I mean, if 1400 people allegedly were killed in Hamas's attack, now you have 10,000 in one month. That means we have 30,000, 40,000 around New Year. So, this is a kind of, you know, extermination policy that, I must honestly say, reminds me of a group of people who need, has an, an urge to do to others what were done to them, historically.
1: What is the risk, however, that you are discerning in the international narrative, in the international media, for instance, of the overwhelming focus on the violence? Because that is what you see almost on every TV channel, oh. many TV channels. Yes. But not everybody is diving so deeply or not as much as should be.
0: No, no, but most people are obsessed with weapons. The media, the politicians, everybody is obsessed with weapons. You see, the first step the United States does, who has armed Israel every year for billions of dollars, the first thing they say after the Hamas attack is, we'll pour more weapons into this. Instead of saying, hey, hey, this is a time where we should have uh, mediation, this is time where we should talk to the parties, this is a time where we should get the UN in with 300,000 people or whatever we would do civilian with civilian tools, The Western world today is operating as if a person has only a hammer in his toolbox. And when the tapestry comes down from the wall, you begin to hammer on the wall. And at some point the wall will come down, but you will not fix the tapestry on that wall. We are totally conflict illiterate, and we are totally peace illiterate. And the reason is we have no peace ministries, we have no ministers who know anything about peace. We have no governments who has gov- peace um, uh, advisors or whatever we would have. We have military people again and again, and that's the militarism of the Western world that will consume the Western world from the inside. People
1: will slowly, by nature, get used to seeing the pictures of violence, mm-hmm. the crying, the tears. Mm-hmm. What's the risk that we're seeing? Because after a few weeks After a few months people will become numb and if the underlying problems is not addressed or the momentum is not used to address that underlying Mm -hmm. problem, what may repeat again?
0: That's a very good question. I think it's what we see now is uh, psychic numbing from this because the natural state of what the media can do is to take pictures of violence or the consequences of violence, dead children, ambulances and all that but they can't and haven't learned to do peace journalism or conflict journalism and try to understand by interviewing people on all sides and doing footage of, of it also what is the underlying conflict i mean here's a structure that has to do with occupation now occupation is not a legitimate means for self-defense and extermination or extermination or genocide is absolutely totally outside the framework
1: of self-defense according to Article 51 of the UN Charter. Let's get to the European position here because you're talking about the Western stance. When we talk about the Western stance, it it, uh, risks generalizing uh, about the situation. I like to look at the UN General Assembly vote which Mm -hmm. took place at the end of October where Mm -hmm. 121 countries voted for a ceasefire to protect innocent people. Fourteen people, including US and Israel, Austria, Voted against it meaning no ceasefire mm. continued the fighting and 44 country abstained uh, so the countries voted for for the ceasefire include regional countries a lot of Arab countries Muslim majority countries China Russia South Africa uh, Indonesia but also we have France and Spain which are major Western countries and then the great majority of Western countries abstain, for instance, the UK, Germany, Netherlands, mm. Denmark, Italy. <laughs> so, what is the Western stance here?
0: Well, there might be exceptions, uh, Western country doing something else, but generally speaking, what I say the West, it means uh, NATO and the EU. And their stance has been from day one that they were on the side of Israel, no matter what. And that's a kind of statement one should never make. Side-taking is irrelevant if you want to solve a conflict. Because when you solve a conflict, you look at the conflict matter, so to speak. What is that stance between the parties, as I said in the beginning, not with one of the parties. And then conflict resolution is creative problem solving, if you will. It's not to distance yourself with that or that party. And the moment you say, I love that party and I hate that party you cannot mediate. A mediation process towards peace requires total neutrality and impartiality and if countries can't do it then we should have a much stronger United Nations and that has been undermined all the time particularly by US policies and NATO policies. I would like a very strong United Nations because it's after all the best organisation humanity has and the, the the charter of the UN is by far the most Gandhian uh, for non-violent conflict resolution. That's an excellent charter
1: that nobody's using. At this point, a lot of people are lamenting on the use or the powerlessness of the United Nations beyond the moral leadership, the moral weight, beyond the humanitarian assistance they can provide. And yet, militarily, it has no teeth and there is no consensus with the UN Security Council. So how do you look at that? And what do you mean by peace reporting? Because everybody is, you know, you're drawn as a journalist you're drawn by violence by you know whatever is bad terrible Mm -hmm. because that's Mm -hmm. that that Mm -hmm. makes people watch but what do you mean by peace report well i
0: i hate to sit here in a in a distinguished news organization to say that you are obsessed with violence but generally speaking that is what the media are in all countries because you can take pictures of it It, it increases it it rouses your emotions when you see hurt and harming and children and all that But it's irrelevant, completely irrelevant from the point of view of solving the conflicts on the So what should they be talking about
1: at this moment? They should
0: be talking about how to either build the two-state solution or a one-state solution or Middle Eastern community where where the, the, the confrontation potential between Israel and Palestine would be reduced because everybody has some other trade, economic, cultural interest with each other and all that. They should talk about the future because you can never solve a conflict unless you can devise a future view that is better. And the parties will then say, oh, we don't get everything we'd like in this conflict, uh, what we hope to get out of it. But we can live with a future, like good neighbors, or integrate into one state, or whatever. But you can never solve a conflict without having a view of the future. And most of the people or dealing with conflicts, or violence, or wars, they look back and say, we're doing this because they did something bad to us yesterday. Again, that's totally irrelevant. What we have to say, what would you like, the, 10 years from now, how would you like how to live we, here? How can we solve the problem? And that means tons of independent, impartial, people who know how to talk with people. I'm not talking about negotiations, that comes at the end. You begin with mediation, meaning pairwise you talk with all the parties and the fraction and all that, and when you hear what they think about the future, what they can live with and what they cannot accept, then you each your way towards something that is a common area where they say, okay, that is a model we can all Agree on to a certain is it, extent.
1: Is it a lack of peace reporting or peace making efforts by people? Because there is not nothing that that's really going on, as you just said. You know the talks. No, there's nothing going on like that. Why not?
0: Well, because. And there, I would I would disagree a bit with you when you have the formulation. The UN does not is not able to etc. The UN, and that was set by the the first Secretary General, Trick Lie, in 1948. The UN will never be stronger than the member sh- countries want it to be. Now, if we could all get rid of our, our terrible militarist nationalism and thinking of ourselves and all that, and instead say, "Hey, we have a common framework, a normative framework, which is for nonviolence." That's Article One, saying peace shall be established by peaceful means. I mean, which country is following that with nuclear weapons and all that? If we could do that, then we would be able have a strong UN that would be able to have a, show what the common interest is by peop- by, by the so countries of the say-
1: conflicting parties. Are you saying there are key member states of the UN who are not interested in making Oh,
0: absolutely. These- absolutely.
1: They, it's,
0: it's a member states who undermine the UN as, as an idea. It's not the UN that is having no teeth or something like that. If we give it teeth, it will have teeth. But there are so many who don't want it to have teeth because they want to have their own policies and not accept Article 99 and 100 of the Charter which says that the Secretary-General, in the name of the Community of Humanity, can intervene and do something. Then he would have a problem with the United States or Russia or whatever.
1: Well, a a couple of uh, resolutions have been vetoed. Draft resolutions have been vetoed from the UN Security Council, which is the, the organ that's supposed to have teeth. Some say this, some say that, some say you vetoed my resolution, Mm, mm, the others say mm, you mm, vetoed my resolution. So what is the problem?
0: The problem here is that power politics, nationalist, uh, my country first, with military means, has become a dominating paradigm. And that's what I said, we don't do diplomacy anymore, we send weapons. Look at Ukraine. Instead of having some kind of negotiations, we told, the West told, and Boris Johnson told, President Zelensky to stop having anything to do with, with negotiations with Russia. And then we pump in weapons like we've never done in modern history. And what do we achieve? A Ukraine which is militarily losing and has, will be completely destroyed. Will the because Palestine- there's no diplomacy, there's no mental. Any idiot can start a fight in a bar, but not any idiot can stop and make peace. That requires training, education, human experience, psychology, and a lot of other things. It's much easier to pull down some weapons from your shelf and use the weapons instead of thinking, what will they end up being? We're killing
2: mass, masses of people. Meeting for the first time since BRICS expanded its members in August, The leaders focused on the conflict between Israel and Palestine. Xi Jinping called for involved parties to stop the violence and attacks on civilians and to release the people held hostage. He also asked for more humanitarian assistance to Gaza and the smooth operation of humanitarian corridors. The Chinese president called for the international community to take concrete action to prevent the crisis from escalating into a wider conflict in the Middle East. Xi Jinping says the fundamental solution to this recurring conflict is to implement the two-state solution, restore the legitimate rights of the Palestinians and establish an independent Palestinian state. He says China has been actively engaging in the mediation of a ceasefire since a conflict broke out in October and has been providing emergency aid to Gaza. Holding the rotating presidency of the UN Security Council for November, China has asked for the extension of the opening of humanitarian corridors to Gaza. Other leaders at the meeting also expressed concern over the conflict and denounced any form of violence against innocent civilians. They stressed the role of dialogue in addressing the crisis and supported all efforts to achieve a peaceful resolution. The media in the West
1: pride themselves for being free, for being the, the textbook of journalism, freedom, professionalism. Uh, are you saying that they are not doing the right reporting, that they're not giving the critical voices that's needed. Oh, absolutely.
0: I have been working, I don't know, in 20 conflicts around the world uh, as director of the Transnational Foundation in Sweden, Yugoslavia's all parts, Georgia, Burundi, uh, Syria, Iran, Iraq. In nowhere have I seen a reason, reasonably balanced and fair and complex reporting about the background of the culture, the problems that the area had that led to warfare and all that. I've always seen one narrative in the Western world, of course there are exceptions, but now I'm talking about the general uh, stereotype uh, view of the mainstream media in the West, that is self-serving. We do this because Saddam Hussein is a terrible guy, right? Or Slobodan Milosevic in Yugoslavia must go uh, or whatever. And if he goes, then everything will be fine in Kosovo and that type of stuff. And then we find out we run away to another conflict. The U.S. is all now, already now, after having contributed to the destruction of Ukraine, it's running running away now from Ukraine with money and weapons. Because we're, we've exhausted our, our own arsenal. As I told you, I'm a Danish citizen. The Danish prime minister has has given away the air force of, of, of Denmark to Ukraine, all the F-16s Denmark had. Now, I don't care about that because I never believed in it. But somebody should ask themselves, how can we suddenly do with much less weaponry in the West because of Ukraine, which we already lost. So it's it's an obsession with solving problems that have no military solution to use military weapons to solve problems that have no military solution.
1: Do you think there is a cultural element? I don't know, because it seems that as soon as something happens, the habitual, the instinct some people in the west especially in the Mm -hmm. media is to Mm -hmm. ask do you condemn and Mm -hmm. why do you not condemn Mm. that was Mm -hmm. the case Mm -hmm. with china when the war happened in ukraine and that Mm -hmm. is the case Mm -hmm. now with the with the military with the conflict in yes why do you condemn who do you condemn why do you not condemn it seems that there is an obsession with this word?
0: Well, that's a part of the taking side, which I told before that I think is absolutely is irrelevant. It a, is it a... We need to take sides in the West. Why? Uh, well, that comes back, if you will. One, the highest authority is God, and we are of God. We are God's country. That applies both to Israel and to the US. We are settler colonialists. We are uh, religious people in the beliefs, whether secular beliefs or religious beliefs. And then I think in the Western paradigm, in the Western social cosmology, you always have either-or. Good guys on this side, bad guys on that side. The idea is too complex for people in the West, decision-makers at least, to have a fourfold table where you say, one party has some good sides and some bad sides, and the other party has some good sides and some bad sides. That's a fourfold table. But the Western thinking is, all the bad guys are here, all the good guys are here, and we support those we call good guys. I mean, it's an extremely primitive way of seeing the world because I have never been in a conflict area anywhere, and I would say also smaller conflicts, where all the faults were on one side and all the good people were on one, 100% of them were there and 100% on the other side were bad people or evil people. What That's ha- the
1: way we think about things. What has to happen for the ordinary people who think like that to realise that the world is various shades of grey instead of black and white? Will it happen because well, you that's see, ex- the,
0: the black and white thinking is something you can back up with weapons the day you don't have all these weapons you've got to listen to people when empires go down and they do there's no empire that lasts forever you get less and less patient with or flexible with criticism you narrow down your media and the truth and the narratives because if you are strong you can you can accept many different views and criticism if you get weaker and weaker you can't thinking is today of this of the type that you can beat your way through but the problem is the more you spend on weapons the less you will be economically strong culturally strong legitimately strong and uh, socially diplomatically strong. maybe. diplomatically also all the civilian things will lose and the military will be this tall no country and no empire can survive that there will be a new world coming up in which it is permitted to have more views because that new world will not be based on one empire that has a missionizing, civilizing, self-accepted role to play. In the multipolar world that is coming up is not going to be one country trying to dominate the rest. And okay. I don't even believe for a second what people say in the West, that China would become a new empire and do what the Americans have done. They will not do that. They don't have the mission idea.
1: Yeah, let let me come in a little bit. Here comes the Chinese approach, which is often criticized because China comes up with these broad principles. Yes. And uh, people say, okay, who can say no to these nice ideas, nice Mm -hmm. words, you know, Mm -hmm. but how can you implement it? They're just nice, you know, and Nobody nobody will say no to it, but they don't work. Yes, these yes, principles of peacemaking is what China is ridiculed about, I would even say criticized. How do you look at China's and approach? And
0: I hope that you keep on presenting these things, because if we don't talk about principles, we will become unprincipled. This side-taking is, as I said, irrelevant. What is relevant is to establish a framework for a dialogue, and from there, laboriously year by year each yourself and all the parties closer and closer to a solution that that has a nucleus that they can live with. And that's why I believe more in the peace content or peace potentials of Chinese foreign policy than I have ever believed in the Western foreign policy. And also I think culturally, the Chinese do not want, uh, sorry for generalizing 1,400 million people, but it's not in the genes of the Chinese to to try to get everybody to be Confucianists or one-party states or something like that. The Chinese go in and do business, they do cultural exchange, and they do this and that, but they're not trying to m- mould others in their own image, which the West has done all the time. We must buy capitalism, we must buy human rights, we must buy this and that, Christianity.
1: Talking about understanding of China, tell us a bit your understanding of this country. Uh, you came here in 1983, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was uh, eight years old and then 2018 you st- <laughs> you, you, you spent six weeks and then now you're here again. So from that cross-millennial even observation... Am I that old? <laughs> I'm sorry, but yeah, it is the last century where you were, you were it here. Is. It yeah, is. So yeah, so from your understanding, what you were seeing Does that back up what you believe about the Chinese approach to the fundamental way out of the conflict? Oh it does,
0: oh it does. Can you give an example? That's why I've decided because I want to make very clear to you, I am in no way an expert on China. I'm a person who's curious. Mm -hmm. I want to learn more, I want to spend a large part of the rest of my professional life uh, traveling around here talking with people trying to understand what is coming up and how you think because it's obvious that the Western world does not understand and does not try to understand the cosmology, the ways of thinking of the Chinese. And we need, whereas you have historically been much more studying and also physically having students etc. in the West, your newspapers are full of news from the Western world, ours do not have that. We have, if you have anything from China, it's a negative story about genocide in uh, Xinjiang or something like that. And that I see as as a very important part of breach building. Some of us must, and of course there are other Westerners doing it, we must try to say when we go here and have something to back up, not being expert but just personal experiences Mm -hmm. and all that, go home and tell, that image must be softened up. There are much more dimensions of this than we see in our Western policy making. And of course, I mean, as a peace researcher, I am so bent on trying to do something that will prevent I know I can't do that, but that's what we should all work for, prevent confrontation and warfare.
1: Yeah, we have to keep trying. Now, right now, there is another sense of emotional fatigue and psychological numbness, which you mentioned, not just on, of course, terrible things happening, and there is a general sense of helplessness, even depression for the people who are watching these images on the social media. What can be done really in the longer term while people search for short-term solutions ceasefire humanitarian aid in the longer term what can people do i mean is there another way to bring about some positive changes
0: oh yes i think what as i said we we're stuck generally in the past and the present and we look at what happened yesterday or last night or whatever i say let's discuss what should it look like in 10 years from now what would be desirable for the parties and for europe or for the west it's not no no we can no 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 I think I mean that's one other thing that distinguishes China from the others Chinese uh, decision-making is long-term in a different way whereas you know most of the decision now in the Western world is panicking like in three days we make a big decision that we have never analyzed the consequences of such as sanctions against Russia and I also believe that there's a fundamental difference between negative peace which is to stop the violence and that's not enough we have something called positive peace and that's conviviality that is realization of potentials of societies and human beings that is cultural creativity there's all the other things that again has a very close link or parallel in health because you and I are not happy just not to be ill we are happy when we have positive energy, when we meet each other, when we have combine our synergy, Absolutely. when we realize potential. That's a positive piece, like we have positive health. Now, if we could switch that thinking and have those debates in our media, we would begin to make people think, yes, we could perhaps have a much more beautiful future. Instead of everyday reading about now, we're preparing for a war against this country, or that country, or that culture, which is a terrible idea. It destroys our minds, as you say, when we see this every day we have uh, fatigue in our emotions and we give up, we give up hope too, and that's the most terrible
1: thing. We're brought down emotionally as well. Absolutely. But
0: that's what researchers generally are not good at. They describe what is wrong, and then they think politicians can make it better. I do want,
1: yeah, I do want... I believe,
0: like a doctor, you must devise a prognosis and a therapy and treatment. How will the patient heal?
1: Yeah. Well I'm I'm a doer and I'm optimistic, especially when things are bad.
0: No, I agree with you.
1: Thank you very much again Ober, director of Transnational Foundation for Peace and Future Research for
2: joining me. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity.